When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and <clears throat> Business Report. <clears throat> now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. Welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report, broadcast live from the Internet Law Center in downtown Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. Please be seated. We got a great show for you today. Um, it is today. It is a, as we speak. It is fifty-four days and seven and six hours from the very first presidential vote, which will be at the Iowa caucuses. And we have two great guests to, to help us ex- understand what's coming up. Um, our first guest is Kenneth Walsh. He's a White House correspondent and author of the new book, um, Celebrity in Chief, A History of the Presidents and the Culture of Stardom. And that comes courtesy of our friends at the Mommy Book Fair. And then the second half, our, our good friend Ralph Hollow, uh, um, award-winning conservative columnist with the Washington Times, joins us to give us his view of the 2006 Republican presidential field, and, and that comes after his um, after the, the February Conservative Political Action Committee um, convention, and um, he got to spend some time with candidates and gives us his insight of, from based on what he saw and his years of experience. So, so our first guest is White House correspondent and author Kenneth T. Walsh here with his new book on Celebrity in Chief, Kenneth. So thank you for joining, Mr. Mr. Walsh. Your book, Celebrity in Chief, A History of the Presidents and the Culture of Stardom. You know, you've written a lot about that the office of the president because, you, you one, you cover it for U.S. News World Report. You've written about Air Force, other aspects of the presidency. What made you want to write this book? Well, you know, I've covered the White House for almost 30 years now. I'm one of the longest-serving White House correspondents, and when you cover the White House, you're always looking for some way to look behind the curtain to see what the presidents are really like and to find larger themes that maybe haven't been explored as much as they should be. And my Air Force One book filled that purpose, a way of looking at the presidency through the special habitat they have on Air Force One. Other books I've done had that same purpose, and my current book, it just struck me that presidents have to be entertainers these days. You know, we're going through this presidential campaign, and of course, Donald Trump is the ultimate example of the intersection between celebrity politics and government as a former host of a reality TV show. And of course, we've had President Reagan, television and movie star, who became president. So it just struck me that this was an aspect of the presidency that needed some more development. And so that's what I tried to do in the book. Just look at the presidents as part of celebrity culture. And my conclusion was that to be most effective, the presidents have to understand and participate in politics. And that's a lot of what Obama's doing today. And there's one, you, you as you used to be president of the, the Washington Correspondents Association. Is that the Washington Correspondents Association? The White House Correspondents. White, White House Correspondents, okay. Which hosts the annual dinner that becomes yes. such, you know, such a sought-up ticket, but also the clips are, the next day are, are viral as can be in terms of the president giving zingers to the media. And so that is like the one event where the role of celebrity is paramount. 
Exactly. And I ran that dinner some years ago when I was president of the board and was on the board for many years. And that dinner president? has to be it was President Clinton, who was in office. Okay. You know, over the years, that dinner has become another prime example of this sort of celebrification of Washington and of the presidency, because if you just stumbled into that dinner without knowing what it was, you wouldn't even know it was a media dinner. You know, the True. president was there, but you would have the visible people and the people creating the most buzz are this, the Hollywood celebrities, are the entertainers. And the president participates in this, and it's happened over the years that the president has gag writers and joke writers, and presidents often give better and more entertaining talks at the dinner than the entertainer does to people like John Stewart or Conan right. O'Brien or Jay Leno. And so the presidents know they have to participate in this. And as you say, the next day, and for days after, it's the, it's the talk of Washington. And a lot of people get a kick out of seeing it on the clips on YouTube and in different other places. But the president is front and center as the celebrity in chief. So that's another perfect example of what I'm talking about. How did it emerge as a almost like a roast, a, a comedic affair? Was was that signaled from the start, or just was this kind of similar to the Al Smith dinner in New York, where they, the the candidates kind of joke a little bit? Well, it's, it's actually a, a long and interesting history. This dinner started many years ago, I think about eighty eight, ninety years ago, by White House correspondents who just wanted to get the president and their sources together for a casual evening where sort of the warring forces in Washington would suspend hostilities for a while <laughs> and, and just get to know each other. And that's the way the dinner was for many years. I remember when I first started attending the dinner back in the early 80s, the big thing was to just get a source or two that you wanted to develop and get to know better and sit with them for an evening of three hours or so and listen to some jokes, have a dinner, and get to know them better. And that's the same as it worked for the sources. But what happened was... A lot of people trace this to Michael Kelly, the former editor of the New Republic who, who died in the Iraq War. He invited Fawn Hall, who was an assistant to uh, yes, Ali North, North at the White yeah. House, uh, as a, uh, a key figure in this Iran-Contra scandal. Not, not that she was, but Ali North was. But anyway, to make a long story short, this then became, when, when all the attention was directed to her, this then became the big goal of media people to invite people who cause a buzz. So you, it went on and on and then, you know, and scores and then hundreds of celebrities were invited. The dinner seats about 2,000, 2,200 people. And every major news organization is trying to bring someone in or people in who will draw attention to that news organization and the reporter that invited them. So the reporters are trying to participate in this celebrity process too. And of course, the nickname of the dinner in Washington is the Nerd Prom. Yes, As the reporters not being the most exciting people in the world, uh, but this is their effort to have a sort of their own sort of prom night. So what we're left with now is that notion of having sort of a casual private time with your sources has morphed into this huge extravaganza where the celebrities have taken over and the media play a backseat role except trying to get attention for themselves by rubbing shoulders with the real celebrities. So it's become, uh, I think to many of us in the press corps, it's become a, a troubling thing because it's sort of lost, the dinner has sort of lost its, um, its original purpose. Its yeah. original purpose. And that's troubling to me too. Now, your, your book is about how presidents wear the cloak of celebrity and you use it effectively to further their goals. And yes. You know, we both came to Washington the same time in 1981, and this is something I've thought about a lot because you know you had the transition from Carter to Reagan, and you know I actually campaigned against Carter for Kennedy, and you know I had 12 years to think about well was that a good thing, and why did Carter fail, and why did Reagan succeed? And I remember watching Reagan's speech after the, the Challenger disaster. Yes, and. You know, which was just a, a work of beauty, and he he was playing a role that isn't really a constitutional role, but it's a psychological role of that almost as the father figure of the nation. And it dawned on me that the president does have multiple roles, and I, I think that was something Reagan grasped and excelled at. You know, beyond you know anyone's imagination, and, and Carter didn't. Carter was, I am the the political figure in chief, 
And I mean, granted, he tried that, you know, the fireside chats, but it didn't quite work. But, you know, in some cultures, you, you separate those roles. In England, they have the head of state as the queen, and, you know, you have, you know, the prime minister is the political figure. Israel has a, a president who's technically the head of state, and then the prime minister is, you know, is the political leader. And other countries follow that model. But, you know, we have one, and we want them to be all of those roles. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I agree with you. Um, I see it uh, in somewhat different terms. Reagan mastered the idea of being the father figure, but different presidents have different ways of using their celebrity. And I use, I'm not using the word use as a pejorative. It's important for the president to use their celebrity to call attention to themselves and their agenda and to try to explain it and sell it to the country. But Reagan understood that he had to have not just celebrity, not just fame, but to be a consequential celebrity, he had to also tap into the overarching themes of American life and of our history. The father figure, the defender of freedom, the guy who promoted the shining city on the hill, the idea of American optimism. Right. And so I think it, the other key part of this whole notion of celebrity in chief is that to avoid shallow celebrity, like somebody who stars in opera on television, the presidents have to tap into these larger themes of American life. Reagan was able to do it, as I said. President Kennedy was able to do it in yes. the, idea, the optimism idea, but he wasn't so much a father figure in my mind. He was sort of a new generation leader, a guy who was trying, his overarching theme was passing the torch, a new generation, trying to find new ideas, trying to explore the American penchant for innovation and for doing things differently one generation to another. And I could go on in other examples. Franklin Roosevelt was certainly a celebrity president, as was Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt, before what I would consider the modern era with Franklin Roosevelt, didn't have a, a war to, to fight, which often sort of defines presidency in very True. historic ways. But Teddy Roosevelt understood the popular culture of his time, and he tapped into the desire for, for more fairness in American life, for what they called at the time progressivism, taking on corporations and the trusts for conservation and so on. And his notion was the strenuous life that as an individual, Americans should focus on doing their best in everything that they did and to uh, both privately and publicly, which he did. But he was able to channel his celebrity in, in selling his programs, which is very important as he developed these larger themes of making a more equitable society. And the other interesting thing about Teddy Roosevelt is I always remember what his daughter said about him as a larger-than-life figure, a guy who loved the celebrity of the office. And her remark was that her father, Teddy Roosevelt, always wanted to be the baby at every christening, the bride at every <laughs> wedding, and the corpse at every funeral. <laughs> and I, that, that line has always stuck with me. It kind of reminds me of uh, the, the mayor of my hometown, a uh, guy named Buddy Cianci, who was the the rap on him was he would show up at the opening of an envelope. Right, <laughs> that's another very good line. Right, exactly. But, and so you actually believe Obama, President Obama, has used his celebrity effectively yeah, to promote his agenda. I mean, there are well, first of all, he comes in with a certain amount of celebrity, um, yeah. and actually, you can argue he wouldn't have got elected if he wasn't. I mean, it's not like he had this illustrious political career prior to 2008. I mean, he'd only been in the Senate for four years. And right. his main kind of trump card that he had was that one brilliant speech at the Democratic Convention in 2004. Right. Well, I think a couple of things about Obama. He understood that he could become sort of a Kennedy-like figure, this idea of hope and change and optimism, new generation, young leadership, that sort of thing. So he tapped into that larger theme, passing of the torch, which he did quite intentionally. He also understood that if he was elected, he would be a historic president and a celebrity president from the first day as the first African-American right. president. And remember, his first year in office, he won the Nobel Peace Prize, and he hadn't done anything yet. And he admitted I, that. Yeah, <laughs> he that seemed was, somewhat surprised. That was perplexing, yeah. Yeah, but, but I think from the beginning, he's understood, and he has some brilliant pollsters and opinion research people who understand that the country has become very fractured in many ways. So the president has to go, in Obama's terms, where the voters are. So he has appealed and participated in popular culture more than any other president has, and he's done it very effectively. Some people feel he's perhaps lowered the stature of presidency, 
by participating in things like late night television shows and these um, YouTube shows, the um, sort of parody interview shows like Zach Galifianakis between two ferns, right. such things such as this. But what he's done is he's able to communicate with segments of the electorate he's trying to persuade and reach. This notion, this Zach Galifianakis, um, he's very popular among young people and and, but it's a parody show, and Galifianakis, right. the host, tries to insult the people who he has on. So it was a gamble for Obama to do that. So he gave as good as he got, but he was able to make the pitch for young people to sign up for health care, which is what he was te- intending to do at this little slice of American popular culture. And it worked. Thousands of Americans, uh, young people, apparently went on the government website and signed up for his health care law. So uh, what I'm getting at here is that Obama has understood that the country has changed in a lot of ways in how people get their information. And he participates in popular culture and represents himself quite well in the areas he's trying to appeal to people. And he's never going to get sort of the Fox News conservative um, viewers. But he understands where he has to go, partly because of this terrific research operation he has left over from his campaign. And the Republicans have had difficulty matching. They're trying to. We'll see how it plays out in, in this current presidential cycle. But they do understand, and I've talked to many Republicans about this, that they have to up their game on participating in and understanding popular culture and developing celebrity and channeling it and harnessing it. And they're trying to do that. And you can see that in the presidential campaign. Right now, who's, who's doing it well right now? Well, Donald Trump, of course, right. a lot of mainstream media, people like myself, reporters who've done this for a long time, expected him to flash and fade, but he hasn't. So I must say he's probably understood popular culture and the mood of the country better than mainstream media has because he now he's fading a bit in the, the polls to, to neurosurgeon Ben Carson. But both of them are outsiders, and they understand that that seems to be what particularly the Republican Party wants there's a strong feeling that the country wants outsiders, not Washington insiders. Right. So Trump has developed this very harsh persona. His staff says he's actually quite a nice guy personally in private, but in public, he's become the tough guy. That he basing his campaign on derogatory comments and insults and things that and policy prescriptions that a lot of his critics say are too harsh. But he he does understand that this is what a significant portion of the American people want. I think he's toned down that a little bit in recent weeks because I think he felt that it was getting going a little too far. He he known too much as foreign candidate, and he wanted to be more presidential. Right, him on him on on two ferns would be an interesting appearance. <laughs> we'll see if that tempering his uh, temper <laughs> lasts. Maybe he can't moderate himself uh, uh, consistently and over a sustained period of time, but he's trying. Now, and what about on the Democratic side? Do you think Bernie is, is tapping into celebrity or is he tapping into something else? No, I think it's, it's different with him. <clears throat> I think Hillary Clinton is the celebrity on that side. Hillary Clearly. Clinton is the most famous woman probably in the world. She um, certainly is the most famous woman in the United States. And she, um, as having the first lady, a senator from New York and uh, secretary of state, she's had a long period of being in the government and understanding policy and so on. I think and and she's and she is very famous so she has the the fame that a celebrity in chief needs the problem with hillary clinton i think is that she needs to harness that celebrity she doesn't need to expand it she's got plenty of people interested in her and her, what she's trying to do but she needs to harness it in positive ways and that's where i don't think she's done very well so far she can't break out of the images that come up of her being too insular and not likable, that sort of thing. And I think she's got a long way to go to get beyond that. I mean, Trump needs to be more likable, too, in my mind, for that matter. I think Bernie Sanders, who you asked about, who's the senator from Vermont, he's a self-described democratic socialist. He's actually an independent. He's running for the Democratic nomination. Hillary Clinton has now seen a surge in support, and Bernie Sanders is sort of frozen in by the mid-20s, but 20, 25% of the Democratic Party, something like that. But he's tapped into the idea of a celebrity as of playing the role of this curmudgeon who, from the left, who's trying yeah. to keep the system honest from the left's point of view. Almost like a, an intellectual version of the nutty professor. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's one way of looking at it. I mean, that's a, that's a uh, 
an image that a lot of people probably have of him. And uh, I don't know if people, people who saw the uh, Saturday Night Live impression with Larry David did a wonderful impersonation of Bernie Sanders. And Larry David, his own reputation is as a curmudgeon. So he was playing the perfect role. But lots of times these comedy shows on television sort of set our perception pattern for how we should see these candidates and presidents. Saturday Night Live doing it for a very long time now. Huge and, platform, and I think, yeah. Yes, and, and so and Hillary Clinton has been on Saturday Night Live. Donald Trump is supposed to host Saturday Night Live. And so it's coming up uh, again. It's showing that celebrity is very important. While we're talking about the commander-in-chief, my producer-in-chief said it's time for a short commercial break, but we'll be back with more with Kenneth Walsh after these messages. You're listening to Cyberlaw and Business Report. Stay tuned for more the of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this the brief recess for our sponsors. Presents the 14th Annual Internet Advertising Competition Awards. Submit your banner ads, email ads, rich media, online newsletters, websites, and social media campaigns now by going to iacaward.org. Deadline for entries is February 15th, 2016. All winners will have their entry highlighted on the Internet Advertising Competition website, as well as receive a handsome trophy to display or a personalized certificate of achievement. Be honored among your online advertising peers by submitting your entry into the Web Marketing Association's 14th Annual Internet Advertising Competition Awards. Submit your entry today at iacaward.org. That's iacaward.org. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investments. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back with Kenneth Walsh, author of Celebrity in Chief. What are some examples of we, your book talk covers Reagan, Obama, Kennedy? What are some epic fails in terms of uh, presidential celebrity? Fails? Um, yeah. Well, and there's a lot of examples of that, too. I mean, I could g- just give you two. One, uh, one example, of course, is um, President Lyndon Johnson, who came in after President Kennedy was assassinated. And initially, I think he understood popular culture in the sense that people wanted him to continue Kennedy's legacy. He did that. But then because of escalating the Vietnam War and because he didn't, didn't, then he lost touch with the country. He then became sort of a prisoner in the White House. He couldn't give speeches because there were such there were violent and nasty demonstrations about him. So I think he was sort of the anti-celebrity. People tend to say so negative. Well, it's tough to approach the level of negativity toward Lyndon Johnson. Remember that the rallies, you and I from the same generation, uh, hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? That's right. what people would chant in his rallies. That's pretty tough. And so he became the anti-celebrity. He, he, by the end of his presidency, he was very unpopular. 
and was really divorced from popular culture in many ways. And, and still um, is. I mean, we actually is, yeah. we had Doris Kern Goodwin on, and we were talking about. Yeah. I went to the Johnson Library, which is you know pales in comparison to the Kennedy Library, and there's only one grown-up book about him in the library, and and, and yeah. it's it's hers. And you, know, I and I think it, it has a lasting impact because, you know, the, people don't embrace the Johnson administration, even the alums, and it has an impact of terms of continuing that legacy. People aren't there to defend, you know, as we now have the 50th anniversary of all the great society programs. No one, no one right. is stepping up and saying, "Hey, that was Johnson. We we you know, we did good work." That's right, and and a lot of people, I think who might defend Johnson on the social program basis have been, have been turned off to him by the Vietnam War. And I right. think that that's a tremendous blockade for him to be defended by historians who, who um, you know, feel that the Vietnam War was a terrible mistake. And he kept escalating it. And so he, as I say, became sort of an anti-celebrity. And then the other one I wanted to mention is uh, Richard Nixon, who succeeded Johnson, who was elected in 1968, having lost to Kennedy in 1960. He came back and he, he did a lot better with popular culture, trying to portray himself as the new Nixon, as he right. called himself. No longer Tricky Dick, as they called him <laughs> earlier in his career. The guy who was more friendly, more likable more approachable. And he participated in popular culture in a very important way in that campaign. There was a show called Laugh-In. Right, was, I can dig uh, which, it. Yeah, which was, this, right, it was, a, it was a, uh, one of the early sh- TV shows, a comedy show with quick cuts with, uh, with very quick skits and jokes and one-liners. And there was one signature phrase they had on the show, sock it to me. It was sock it to me? Okay, I thought it was I can dig it. Oh, well, okay. that was that too, but it was sock it to me. And a succession of people would come on the show and say, Saka to me. And he agreed to do that and just say those words. That's it. And there was a, there was, he did the show, they cut to him and he said, Saka to me, but the private, uh, and it took a lot of people by surprise thinking, well, maybe Richard Nixon is different now. He is approachable. He, he, he understand his popular culture to some extent. But what happened privately is that when filming this, he wasn't familiar with the show at all. So he didn't really know how he's supposed to say sock it to me. He has said it as a question in the first take, sock it to me. And then it was <laughs> sock it to me. And so they kept saying, no, no, you get, just say it straight. And so they, I think it was on the sixth take he finally got it right. But So he wasn't comfortable with it. But he understood he had to do something like that to seem more likable and approachable. But That's when he became funny. president, you know, when he became president, it sort of fell apart, partly because of the Vietnam War, partly because of the way he attacked his opponents and, and uh, came on, on so strong and so harshly. The other quick point I wanted to make about Nixon is that there was an incident where he did try, as he did periodically, to reach into popular culture. He realized, his staff realized that Elvis Presley was a big fan of law enforcement. And Elvis Presley wanted to see the president and get some kind of a law enforcement badge so he could help the, the police track down drug abusers. Now, it's ironic because ironic, Elvis yes. ab- abused medic- me- his prescription drugs himself. But anyway, he got into the White House. Uh, Nixon was asked, his staff, would you see Elvis? And Nixon said, well, I don't know anything about Elvis. What am I going to talk to him about? I, I don't even I don't even know what he sings. So they met together. Which is an amazing um, statement right there. I mean, this is nineteen seven. This nineteen seventy what? Yeah. Well, and he at that Nixon. Point, yeah. Elvis had been right. in the public eye for twenty years. Yeah, and and Nixon was a guy who, having researched this over the years, thought that Guy Lombardo was an excellent jazz musician. I mean, he actually <laughs> said that a couple of times. Jazz, he's he was the band big band leader. But anyway, just to show how far out of popular culture Nixon was. So anyway, Elvis shows up at the White House. He meets with the president. And Elvis comes in one of his real, what we think of at the time as outlandish get-ups with like a cape and, and chains and, and a shirt open down to the stomach and stuff. And Nixon says to Elvis, that's quite a get-up you have on there, Mr. Presley. And Elvis says, you have your audience, Mr. President, and I have mine. <laughs> I thought it was an interesting Very uh, astute, yes. It was. And, but the, the fine point I wanted to make about that is that the picture of Elvis and President Nixon is the single most requested photograph from the National Archives. People is, are so yes. shocked by this notion of them getting together like that. But it really didn't work for Nixon because he was very unpopular particularly after he was reelected and the uh, people felt that the Vietnam War was going on too long and so on. 
No, it's interesting. You know, so I, I'm, I was in Washington 13 years. I moved out here to L.A. And what struck me was that a lot of people that I knew from the Clinton administration uh, also found their way out here. And they became advisors to celebrities, political advisors to celebrities, advising right. them on you know, what causes to get involved in and helping them get involved. And it was just kind of weird, this kind of inter, inter, you know, symbiosis of politics and celebrity all coming together. Yeah, that, that, that's actually a very interesting point. And I know at the White House, you know, nothing causes more of a stir than when some show business person comes through. I mean, more than a head of state or something like that. And, the, you know, people just sort of line the, the hall corridors hoping to catch a glimpse of a George Clooney or some other big celebrity. You know, they're happy to ask him for autographs. So the White House is drawn to this. And, and it's interesting that Bill Clinton came from humble origins in Arkansas. And one reason he was so interested in popular culture is because he could hang out with the people he had admired for oh, much yes. of his life as show business celebrities. That's why he went to Martha's Vineyard, this vacation spot in Massachusetts for the rich and famous, because um, he could hang out with the singers and the movie actors and actresses that he had admired and uh, he was the center of attention. So he, he, he loved that idea of being a celebrity himself. And although, I mean, he came from, I don't know if you're familiar with Renaissance Weekend, which, you know, founded yes. by Phil Lader and, you know, yes. which I've been fortunate to go to in that. So you have this kind of private environment with movie stars as well as, you know, Supreme Court justices, journalists, you know, Nobel Prize winning authors and, and scientists yes. and <clears throat> And so, you know, he, he kind of had that to an extent before, but yeah, he was very in, enamored. I actually had the opportunity to sit next to him at a benefit concert with Stevie Wonder, and the host was Kevin Spacey. You know, he just, he leaned over to me and he says, you know, have you, you know, going on about the usual suspects? And he says, I just love that movie. You know, it's just brilliant. And he, and he is just an amazing actor and he just went on, you know, extolling the virtues of Kevin Spacey. Yes. Well, I've, I've sat next to him at dinners and I was interviewed him a number of times and so on for that eight-year period he was president. And um, he, he did, nothing animated him more, really, than talking about popular culture and show business. And movie, he loved movies. You know, he played the saxophone, so he, he kept up on music. He liked to watch television, you know, the entertainment shows. So he, he was a guy who really made a, a priority of keeping up with popular culture. And I think that him... Being able to do that, it really helped him in his real time sort of desperation and, and crisis with the Monica Lewinsky scandal because he was able to um, understand that the country was ready to change its perception of what they wanted, people wanted from presidents, that his private life, maybe people thought he was a scoundrel or a rascal, but people should, in his mind, separate his private life from his public leadership. And he was able to convince the country to do that. He was impeached, but he was not uh, removed from office by the Senate. And by the end of his presidency, people concluded he was a good president, even though his character was flawed. And right. his popularity was quite solid at the end of his presidency. And still is. And, and also, yeah. celebrity was very important, both in terms of his election and then his ultimate ascension to being a popular president. So you look at you know, his appearance on Arsenio Hall where he plays the saxophone. Yes, exactly. You know, that was kind of, that was his breakout. That's where, you know, there was a point, everyone forgets, you know, there was a point in time when he was in third place behind Ross Perot and, and um, you know, Papa Bush. And right. for him to come up um, is quite amazing. The other, you know, we're running out of time, but the other moment that really sealed him as a popular president was him his role at the Oklahoma City funeral. Yeah. You know, yeah. then all of a sudden people, they saw this man of sympathy and um, they responded. Yes, the, com the comforter in chief. That's exactly right. And uh, just to circle back on that, I was that was the year I was president of the White House Correspondents Board and I ran the dinner that year. And so the question at that dinner, how do we deal with the Oklahoma City bombing? And uh, so there's some question as to, uh, you know, how, how that very awful moment for the country should be handled. And the, the, my conclusion was to just to have a moment of silence, partly because President Clinton had done such a good job of being the, the sort of consoler-in-chief. I think at that point, the country was ready to move on from it. 
in large part because President Clinton did such a good job in commiserating with the country and being such a public spokesman for the grief of the country. But I think that he did uh, understand the multiple roles that the president has that we started talking about in our interview. And I think that as celebrity in chief, he is one of those I talk about in the book as one of the top celebrities in chief, most effective in that way. Yes. And if people want to follow you, your website and Twitter account? Yeah, KennethWalsh.com and kwalsh at usnews.com. Easy to find. Well, thank you. And again, he's an adjunct professor at the Great American, the American University um, Ward Circle in Washington, D.C. And uh, it's been a pleasure having you and best of luck on the book tour. It's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you. And the book is Celebrity in Chief, A History of the President and the Culture of Stardom. Kenneth Walsh, thank you very much. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PVC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis, SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Good time to bring back our friend Ralph Hollow, the award-winning conservative columnist with the Washington Times, and and re-air our interview with him in March following the 2015 Conservative Political Action Committee convention, where he spoke with uh, many of the leading 2016 presidential contenders. So without further ado, here's our interview with Ralph. And Ralph, it's great and to have you. more ways than one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, R- Ralph is just a pure class guy uh, and an outstanding journalist. Um, but he just came came from uh, a week in, was it, I believe, Baltimore for the Conservative Political Action Committee um, convention where all the major contenders were there and his, where his lovely wife received a Lifetime Achievement Award. Congratulations to Millie. Um, so, Ralph, um, what was that like? And do you have a sense of you know, who, who might emerge from 2016 after that, that week? Well, despite many requests to the contrary, someone is going to emerge. And uh, I, I don't... <laughs> Oddly enough, and this will shock you, I'm not sure who it's going to be. Uh, my bet is, uh, if I had, if I was forced to bet money, make a choice, I'd probably bet on uh, Jeb Bush but for reasons that should be obvious to all of your listeners who are awake. <laughs> Let me tell both of them. <laughs> both, I tell you, took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's got he's got the name recognition in the sense of. Uh, that special sense that counts in American politics, a uh, kind of dynastic name. Uh, it means an awful lot uh, in American politics. Uh, he will have the money. There's, I, I don't think there's any problem with his having as much money as anyone else. Probably out, outraise the rest of them combined. I mean, Christie uh, showed courage uh, in showing up because that's not his, these are not his people. 
Right. And uh, he did okay. But he did, he has done better. And I, it may have been the intimidation of the venue, uh, full of a hall full of conservatives, uh, when he is not, I don't think he probably thinks of himself as a, uh, as a right winger. Um, the, uh, let's see. Uh, so dare else? I say he's a lightweight in the field? <laughs> Who's that? Dare I say he's a lightweight? Yes. <laughs> uh, that's a joke. You, you got, you got, you got that joke. Oh, that's, it was your joke. I see. Okay. Yeah. He's not a, no, he's, <laughs> no, he's not a lightweight. He, he, he's, he's fat. Okay. I said it. All right, that's it. It's on the table. Nobody, um, nobody was listening. Now, are you going to so, ask me about Scott Walker, or do I have to bring it up on my own? No, I was, I would, I was going to ask, because he seemed to, surprisingly, I wouldn't have guessed it, but and surprisingly, he's emerged as really, there are two things that I think that make him formidable. You know, this, you know, he did very well here, and then, you know, geography favors him. He has Iowa, and the Iowa caucus is very close to him. So he has a backyard advantage that could actually help propel him to in New Hampshire. Well, yes and no. I think he's a special case. I think he'll do better in New Hampshire than some than other people who do well in uh, in Iowa. He, Iowa caucus voters uh, are heavily uh, Christian conservative, uh, evangelical, born again Christian, right? Um, and charismatic or born again Catholics. There, there is such a thing. I have, a, I have a dear cousin who is a born again Catholic, and they. Uh, so, uh, the, the people who do well in Iowa don't necessarily do well in New Hampshire, which tends to be a much more uh, libertarian-minded uh, or leaning, uh, secular uh, cons- uh, group of voters, of Republican voters. Um, so yeah. Those first two contests, first Iowa and then New Hampshire, have not really told us, have not been leading indicators as to who's going to get the nomination. Uh, if you win one, you may not win the other, and it's some, sometimes the, the winner of the Iowa caucuses goes on to win the nomination, and other times it's the winner of the New Hampshire primary. Uh, it, there's no way of t- they're not good indicators, right? I mean, you like to know about that. I'm buddies with. Well, I mean, what it, I recall you writing up about um, um, Carly Fiorina. Carly Fiorina. Ah, it, it, yeah, I yeah. mean, do you think she's a good she's candidate? Surprised. Yeah, I think she is. It, she's a good candidate in that she's she has a high level of intelligence. She she, she ranks high on the Stanford Binet intelligence quotient uh, test. Uh, and as soon as you sit down with her at dinner or work, just, just, just have a talk with her. You know you're talking with a very bright person. Uh, what Those policy questions that she's familiar with, she's good on. She is not good on yet on being a, a national candidate, uh, a 50-state candidate. She's, you know, she's her her history is not in politics, it's in business. Right. She's a very, very successful businesswoman, a co- corporate leader. Uh, and she, so she gets all of that. And she gets the ins and outs. She knows, she knows how to play the very difficult corporate field. Corporate politics are at least as bad as, as uh, uh, the kind of politics you and I are talking about. Right. Uh, but but, uh, but there's, you know, there's, there's a learning curve there. It's but there's also a flip side. Some of these there's a flip side yeah, to her yeah. resume. You know, she got you know fired at HP. She ran for Senate and lost. So you, you kind of have a you know here's a candidate on, on a streak, but it's not a winning streak. If you exactly, and so if you if voters took if, if donors, if the people who finance candidates looked at that part of the resume alone, she'd have a hard time raising money. Right. Uh, and if voters took that seriously, I uh, should have a hard time getting any voters. But it's not, nobody is clear, quite clear on why donors donate and why voters vote. They do the oddest things. I've, you and I have lived long enough to see this. 
people we thought could not possibly get the money or the votes right. uh, take their, their party's nomination and then take the presidency for goodness sake. And the, the, current, the current president is a, is a great example. And, and Jimmy Carter, he, too. He had yeah. no record. Yeah, and, and, but he knew, he knew things. He was smart enough to do things differently, hook up with people who knew how to do things differently, who knew how to go to his strengths and bypass the weaknesses. And so anything's possible. And that's why Carly Fiorina is, a, is possible. Is she probable? No. Yeah. Right. Now, well, the person who Who's is prob- possible is, it seems to be yeah. probable. Um, but obviously that I can see some difficulties, you know, <laughs> ahead. It would be Rand Paul. Yeah, Rand Paul is, a, in a sense, the most interesting in that huge field of Republican uh, presidential wannabes. Uh, he is bright. He does know issues. He can talk issues. Uh, he doesn't need uh, an aide with the note cards and uh, hand signals to to help him through an, an interview. He, do, he can do that on his own. Um, what and his his worldview it seems to me pretty it, it more closely matches uh, America of of uh, 2015 2016. Uh, I think uh, the, the electorate is uh, is war weary. Um, less inclined to believe that America has a has what it takes to make people do what uh, other countries do, what America wants it, wants them to do. Uh, doesn't have the money anymore to to spend on that. We haven't won a war since in a, in a sense since 1945, but we've spent hundreds of billions of dollars fighting wars. Uh, and I think the, his reluctance to use military might to enforce our desires and uh, turn turn other countries into uh, into uh, carbon carbon copies of the United States I think that sits well with with the voting public but uh, some aspects you know are traditional conservative positions that's right in fact it's hard to tell that it, what what is conservative uh, today I mean you, you see here true uh, a lot. These people, Scott Walker, for example, joined a, a herd of, of, of Republican wannabes, presidential wannabes, and going to see uh, Sheldon Adelson, who was a uh, filthy rich um, uh, gambling mogul who, uh, who who hangs his hat in uh, uh, Nevada, in Las Vegas, and uh, and gives money uh, by the millions. Tens of millions, hundreds of millions. He's willing to says he's willing to do to uh, candidates who uh, who are one hundred percent on one issue, Israel. I think there's a paucity. You'll pardon the expression. That means little of for those who came in late to class. That there's a paucity of warmth, of uh, touchy feeliness among the Republican candidates. You know, W. George W. Bush was the warmest, sweetest. Yes most loving guy I ever ran into. I mean, I just loved that guy. I didn't agree with what he did. I mean, I, uh, m- most of his policies were, were really way, way off. Uh, foreign policy uh, was way too interventionist uh, and, and unsuccessful. The uh, his domestic policies were uh, mostly uh, big spending uh, for little reason in corporate welfare and uh, uh, Wall Street uh uh, well, I, whatever whatever you want to call what he did with the collaboration with Wall Street, it was it was I thought it was shameful. So the nicest human being who who ran for president and then became president in my lifetime. So, but that warmth doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good president. Right. But that warmth is not something Rand Paul has. Well, what do, yeah. What do you think about Ted Cruz? I, you know, I, when I think of Ted Cruz, I think of uh, uh, foot to the accelerator, but stuck there. Uh, you know, he comes on strong and he stays on strong, and and that can be a bit tiring. He he may be 
he may have the highest IQ of all of them. Uh, and he knows his issues. But again, he he is um, he and his I, I think he's he's very deeply religious. And an amazing number of these folks are, by the way. Um, and the 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 depth of their religiosity will affect their the way they see foreign policy and domestic policy. Uh, and I have to uh, I had a long talk with the Ted Cruz's father, who's a, a, a physician who uh, uh, from Cuba, who was born in Cuba and uh, fought uh, on Castro's side. Really? And uh, yeah. And um, then uh, uh, realized things that this was not what he bargained for, that uh, Fidel was uh, more totalitarian than, uh, than anything else and, uh, and, and, and really was a communist. And I, I think the, the dad's uh, views of, of socialism and communism changed. In any case, he, he, went, he came to the United States, he fled, uh, fled Cuba. Uh, got safely to the United States and then, uh, went, uh, fought Castro. So he turned 180 degrees. But I asked him once when we're on the way to a, from someplace to someplace, uh, in a, in a big hotel, we're going to dinner. And so it's a, we're sort of shuffling along, I think, with a lot of people, as I recall it. And, uh, and I, I asked him, I said, well, you know, you, you, uh, your view on, uh, uh, it, on, on Israel, it's, it's the, uh, the, the, there's a way of looking at the Bible that leads you to think that the, uh, and it may, I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but the, the, uh, if, if there's no Israel, the, there will be no second coming of Christ. Um, and so I said, that, that's, do, you, do you believe that? And he said, yes. And I said, well, now what does that mean for foreign policy if the uh, so if Israel decides on a, to adopt a foreign policy that it feels is its only salvation, but the United States feels will lead to the to the destruction of the United States, which side do you come down on? Do you come down on Israel's side because of the religious aspect, or do you come down on the United States side because of uh, your patriotism? And he struggled with it. Wow! Yeah, I said that whole that whole walk to dinner. Uh, Interesting. And then finally, he said. Yeah, but but finally he said, oh, "No, I I I look, I left, I I fled Cuba, I went back, fought Castro. I'm, a, I'm an American patriot. I believe in in this country, so I have to pick the United States." But that, but he but he did struggle with it, and that's you know to me it's a, it's a fascinating issue for people to to grapple with. Is Sarah Palin going to run? Ralph, if people want to follow you, um, you have a um, on Facebook. You, you're cover, you have a page for just for um, your coverage of 2016. So I encourage people to check it out. More information on blog cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. Thank you again. Courts adjourned. Appreciate everyone um, for joining us today. Have a great week. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program as well as our complete library of programs on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.